Welcome to the Autism Action Update. This is my weekly podcast. I'm Assemblyman Angelo Santa Barbara, uh, Chair of the New York State Assembly Subcommittee on Autism Spectrum Spectrum Disorders. And today, or we're going to be having a discussion about a bill that uh, was recently scheduled to go through the Codes Committee in the New York State Assembly. Uh, was held up because of a number of controversial discussions around it. We're going to continue that discussion right here on the podcast. The bill, uh, the title of the bill, an act to amend the labor law in relation to minimum wage for employees with disabilities. Uh, this is a discussion that's probably going to continue. Uh, we're going to talk about it right here on my podcast today. So today uh, we're going to be discussing a bill that was uh, uh, scheduled to be taken up in the Codes Committee in the New York State Assembly. Uh, it became a subject of controversy uh, because uh, what it what it talks about is raising, uh, uh, actually closing a loophole that exists right now that actually allows uh, people with disabilities to be paid lower than the minimum wage. So sub minimum wage. Uh, uh, sub-minimum wages uh, for employees with disabilities. So uh, this bill was scheduled to be taken up in the Codes Committee and the New York State Assembly. Uh, that bill was taken off the agenda for further discussion uh, because advocates on both sides of this issue uh, made some pretty good points uh, uh, about whether or not this bill should be passed. Uh, the discussion revolved around uh, opportunity, uh, creating opportunities or uh, or lack thereof. Uh, and also this, uh, the uh, advocates for the bill talked about the uh, the opportunities uh, that if people are going to be doing the, going to be taking on employment, uh, the minimum wage is just that the minimum wage. And this discussion went back and forth for quite a bit uh, with the sponsor of the bill and other uh, disability advocates uh, that are either members of the New York State Assembly or part of our community. So we're going to be talking about this. It was reported in the Times Union. Uh, uh, an article in the Times Union uh, summarized. The discussion, uh, we're going to be talking about that discussion. We're going to be continuing that discussion here because I think it's important for people to understand uh, what this bill would do. Uh, also, to understand what is happening right now, uh, how this uh, loophole exists, and how people, uh, what type of employment people are taking on, and, and the, uh, the way. Uh, uh, opportunities are offered for for, uh, for those with disabilities. For me, uh, I have a son. Uh, as you know, I have a son. Uh, my son Michael. Uh, he was my first guest on this podcast. Uh, my son uh, is 17, and at some point, I would like him to have uh, some sort of employment opportunity. So this is definitely a topic of interest for myself uh, to see. At some point, uh, my son loves cooking. Uh, he's uh, uh, I call him Future Chef Michael uh, because uh, that's his interest. He likes getting involved in. In cooking, and part of the discussion was whether or not uh, people with disabilities should be taking employment that uh, is paying less than minimum wage, or should they be going into uh, programs uh, like my son is in one of these programs where they are learning things like cooking and things and finding interests. So that discussion is going to be uh, going to be uh, uh, an interesting uh, uh, topic uh, that we're going to take on today. And my guests uh, to talk about sort of both sides, the advocacy on both sides of this. Uh, locally here, uh, and we do record this uh, at Proctor's Theater. So just down the road, Schenectady ARC, the Executive Director, Kirk Lewis, is here. Kirk, welcome to uh, my podcast. Thank you. Uh, it's, 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 it's great to have you on the show. And, uh, and John Robinson, who has been a guest on my show uh, before, is the CEO of uh, a company called Artability uh, that also uh, talks about issues like this, uh, looks to create opportunities for those with disabilities. Uh, so we kind of uh, talked about this 
in, uh, when, when this was happening in the assembly chamber, uh, I talked to both of you on this bill, uh, in, uh, in, and the bill is being discussed further as we speak. Uh, I don't know where this, what direction this bill is heading in. It does have to get through the codes committee to actually get to the floor for a vote, and I imagine there's going to be some lengthy debate on this bill. Uh, and whether or not it's going to pass, I don't know at this point, but I think it's important that we have this discussion. Uh, so I'm going to start with you, Kirk, because uh, this, as I said, this is controversial legislation, and, uh, and as, as we discussed it, it's, it's, it revolves around people with disabilities and some people with de developmental disabilities uh, being paid uh, less than minimum wage for uh, work, uh, work that's being done uh, in, in any capacity. So I guess, you know, the ARCs, uh, you do a, a provide these employment opportunities. Uh, and from what, what I've read and what we've talked about, uh, you have the Pine Ridge facility, uh, which involves uh, certain types of work. But what type of work are we talking about here? Well, it, it, it could be any kind of work. And, and let me just back up a little bit and give a little background, because Connected ARC provides we, we operate day programs for individuals. We have um, our, our work center. We provide support and employment where we're out in the community working with people. We work with the schools. We do schools. So it, it's important to set that framework because it isn't like there's only one thing we do here and we put people into a position where they're going to earn a sub-minimum wage. We look at that as one option that we have to meet people who have a tremendous variety of needs, the people we support. And I guess, so. I guess to, along those lines, I should also say that this is not just the ARCs, the, the, you know, the, loophole, the loophole that we're talking about, uh, if you want to call it a loophole or whatever, whatever it is uh, that allows this is uh, uh, for religious, educational, and charitable organizations. It covers yeah. all those categories. So it's not just that you know, it's, it's, it's connected to the ARC or any ARC for that matter. Uh, but your position is that, look, this, this, this uh, preserves opportunities. That's what I think. That's what we talked about. Yes, that's exactly right. And let me. You, and you, I made a note because you said loophole, um, and I don't think that's a fair characterization. Yep. So, the way an employer like us can pay a subminimum wage is you apply to the Department of Labor. It's a federal provision. It's called a 14C certificate. And if you're going to pay a subminimum wage, you have to do a number of things. First of all, you have to figure out what is the prevailing wage in the industry for a job. And then you have to look at, all right, so maybe that's $15 an hour. And then you have to look at what is the normal rate of production that goes with that prevailing wage in the industry. And that gives you sort of your production norm. And then you look at your workers and they say, all right, if this person can only do 30% of that and you know one third and the prevailing wage is $15, you would be able to pay that person $5 an hour. So it, it's not a loophole, it's a program, it's a certificate, um, we keep records on it, we have to document that we've researched the prevailing wage, that we've identified it and we've done the time studies, and then we, we've got to keep those records and we're audited on it. So it, it's, and what that does is it allows us to provide work opportunities for somebody who an employer is not going to hire them at minimum wage or at the prevailing wage because their rate of production doesn't warrant it. For a competitive employer, they're looking at, do I manufacture in Schenectady or do I manufacture in Mexico? I've got to be competitive. I've got to have workers who can meet some standard. But we support people who work below that standard. So our ability to pay the subminimum wage under these guidelines allows us to provide opportunities to those people. And I, I should also stress that um, people we support have a variety of experiences. There's, when, when we were at our peak at our work center, um, we had maybe 10% of the people 
who were actually at the work center full-time, where that was their job. Most of our people, part of their day might be at um, working a job at McDonald's or Burger King or Price Chopper or one of the local agents. You know, there's a lot of great local employers who will hire, but that's only maybe eight hours a week. That's the most they can get scheduled for. Part of their day might be in a day program where they're developing their life skills. And you mentioned your son, um, and you said, what, will he be in a program or will he be in work? Yep. You may not have, you shouldn't have to make that choice. And people who work with us don't have to make that choice. We're focused on the individual. And so we're looking at what's going to help that individual develop the skills that are going to lead him or her to the, the goal, the job, the, the life that he or she wants to lead, lead and can lead. So it's, um, again, I view, this, and we at Schenectady ARC view the subminimum wage as an important option that gives us the ability to let people start work, get paid, um, develop skills, maybe move into that job where they're going to be paid minimum wage, move into a job where they're paid more than minimum wage. Um, but that's an option that's there. Um, there are some people who may never do it, but they get great. Sat they're they're working. You know, our, our basic premise with all of this is that for adults, work is important. Work is how we define who we are, what we do, and the subminimum wage is a way for us to bring the opportunity to work to a lot more people. And we just talked about uh, with the you know connection with the NYABLE program in my last podcast, how you know saving that uh, saving your own money and being yes. able to work towards independence. Uh, so basically, uh, Kirk, y your position is look this this what is in in law exists in law now, and we won't call it a loophole. We'll call it whatever provision is yeah. in law. There's a process for it. That's uh, right. It's audited. It's monitored. And you're saying it preserves these opportunities. And you're also saying that look maybe you're saying some of the people that do work for ARCs or in some other capacity under these charitable organizations or educational institutions that they, they wouldn't be able to be necessarily be hired in the competitive workforce. That's absolutely right. I mean, unless, you know, you, we serve the full continuum of people and the full continuum of abilities. And there are, there are a, a group of people, it's, it's not huge, but it's significant, who want to work, but they may not be able to work as fast. They may need some special equipment. They may need some um, accommodations in order to work at a rate of maybe 20 to 30% of the normal rate. Um, the other thing we see is that an employer might be willing to hire somebody for eight or 10 hours a week, but they're not gonna hire them for 40 hours a week. So it, it is a tool, it is an option, it's something we can use. Um, again, we approach this from a very person-centered point of view. We're looking at what do people wanna do, how do we help them do that, and what, what opportunities can we offer to them to do that? And our work center and our ability to pay some people at a subminimum wage is one piece of that toolkit. Now, uh, John, your uh, so your position on this is that uh, the system that Kirk is talking about is somewhat outdated and also open to exploitation by private businesses. Uh, so, you know, let's let's just talk about the counterpoint on this of what your position is. Happy to do it. Yeah. Let me first say, Kirk does God's work. Schenectady ARC, the Ark of New York, please don't get, just because we disagree on this one part of this issue, we have a, a extremely friendly relationship and I think the world of Kirk personally and Schenectady ARC. Absolutely. So I don't want, that's one of the hard things and a lot of what happens in the disability debates in, in today in society and in government, we're ended up pitting against each other, pitted against each other and it's, it's unfortunate. And I, one of the things I heard in the well um, just this week is it is too bad that we're, we're put in this situation because it's, it's, it's not always great for us personally. Um, but I do believe in what I believe in. And 
part of what I believe in is that um, we've, we've, and we said this on the last podcast, we've come a long way, an awfully long way in, in, in the disability world. Um, you know, if I had been born 60 years ago instead of 50 years ago, I was institutionalized. If I had been born 100 years ago and not 60 years ago, I may not be alive. So we've come a long way. Part of that continuum in my world is all about employment. And so the things that we can do in employment is work with the business community. We can educate the business community on, on terminology, understanding, accommodation, uh, access to talent, et cetera. Uh, we can talk about building a training center. We can talk about the things that we can do that in some part, what's connected to ARC is doing right now and what they've talked about, building a training center and how we can prepare people to go out and work. Um, but one of the things that we do is we talk about equality. And equality means a lot to me personally, and it means a lot to, to the people that we represent. And if you believe in a minimum wage at all in the United States, and we, we've had that debate, and there's the libertarian in me that may not believe in it at all, but if you do believe in it and society has said that there's a minimum wage for labor, then it's very hard for me to say that a person with a disability is worth less. I've had people say that to me, people to my face recently, so I don't. I have a hard time with that. And I think one of the things that, and you were up at the, you're up at the, I appreciate you making the trip to the to the Capitol yep. to talk about this issue. One of the things that was said in response to that was that we're talking, uh, uh, people, uh, some people believe that there are people that want to work but cannot work at the level of minimum wage. So I guess that's been the the the, the uh, controversy. Yes, and I, I can understand that, although I don't I don't agree with it. If you're working and you're working for one hour, eight hours, 10 hours, 40 hours. The United States says that there's a minimum wage. New York says that there's a minimum wage. And, and I think what was, brought, what was an interesting, uh, and you know, this discussion as it was unfolding, uh, one of the things that was brought up is, hey, what about like, you know, it's, it's like volunteer work, but it's really not like volunteer work, because volunteer work is, is, is much different. Yeah, if you're volunteering, and listen, there, there certainly, there is a need, a great need, for all of us to support the good work that, that the ARCs do and that the agencies do around services for people with disabilities. We need to continue that. But when it comes into work, whether it's work inside or work externally, and if, if I am packaging applesauce or I am manufacturing X and I'm spending one hour doing that, I need to be paid at New York State's minimum wage level. And that's where we need to, to go. And one of the reasons that I believe so strongly in this is all the work that we're doing outside in, in corporate America, as you know, when we are talking about employing people with disabilities, we're talking about equality. And so if somebody goes out to work at Price Chopper or McDonald's or Key Bank or M&T Bank, et cetera, that we're asking them, these businesses, to, to pay those wages. We have to be prepared to do that across the board. And what's, what, what the legislation is not unique around the United States. There's three other states that have passed it. And we are getting away from work, work centers here in the next five years anyway. So we, we, have to, we have to do this. And I got an email, I think we both got the email just in the last, in the last day or two, that the U.S. Department of Labor is, is putting a listening session together on this very issue. And, and yeah, certainly, and, and, and understandably why the bill was, was uh, sort of held up for further discussion. Uh, you know, one of the, so, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a number of... Uh, 
topics uh, around this issue. One of them uh, was something I just talked about. You know, uh, we people, Kirk, Kirk. I guess what's your uh, uh, opinion on people working at a minimum wage that now that uh, can't perform maybe without a job coach or some assistance that are taking jobs at the minimum wage with assistance like a job coach. I guess I guess that's that's sort of the counter argument to all right. Should people take a job that's less than minimum wage or maybe go, you know be get prepared for a job that they can do with some assistance that's out there and available. It's it's not an either or. I mean, I think that's great, and we we've got we've got job coaches out in the community. We're trying to get people jobs if that's what they want to do, and if that's what they can do, that's great. Um, you know, John said if you know if the minimum wage is what you should be paid, and you know if you're paying subminimum wage, you're saying people are worth less. We're not saying that at all. We're saying people should have the right to work, and if the choice is between not doing work because that employer is not going to hire you because you can't work at a certain level, or doing work at a sub-minimum wage and feeling the value of the work and maybe having time to develop those skills, we think it's worthwhile having that sub-minimum wage. And, and we need to be clear on it, and you mentioned it right at the start. This only applies to charitable institutions. It's not McDonald's, it's not Burger King, it's not, um, you know, the, the companies can't go out and get this exemption. They aren't eligible for the exemption under New York's labor law, the way it's written now. It's, it's institutions like ours, where we're, we are trying to prepare people and work with people. We have no profit motive. In fact, there's really a disincentive for us to do the 14C certificate because it's work to administer, and we don't get paid for that. And I think, it, I think we discussed it. Actually, you operate at a loss on some it, of these programs. Our, our work center has operated at a loss for years. We, we don't make money doing this. We do it because it's consistent with our mission, and it's, um, it's consistent with, again, making employment opportunities available to people. I mean, the, the, the reality, we, we're in a capitalist society. Our, our, our corporate organizations, our profit-making entities, even the most social-minded has to make a profit. They have to draw the line. If they're paying somebody eleven forty an hour at a minimum wage, there's a certain line below where they're going to say, I can't afford to hire that person because I'm not getting the value from that employee that I need to get for what I'm paying. A sub-minimum wage allows us to say, all right, we can give you work, we can give you meaningful work, um, and we can help you develop those work skills, and maybe you will get up to the point where, again, and you know, we'll help develop the skills and get someone to the level where they can earn a minimum wage. So let's just take Pine Ridge, for example. So the work that goes on there, uh, it's assembly. Assembly work. If, if it's, I remember, it's a variety. If a I remember light, correctly, well, the, what light, I, light assembly, packaging, right. production. We we have a variety of things we do. So what I toured when I toured, uh, it was assembling, and I think it was packages of, of screws and, and uh, uh, pack, packaging of items that go into some some other. Uh, I'm trying to remember what production. Uh, so what? Where does I guess where, the question out there, and this is going to be the question to the listeners. The work that's being done, who does it benefit? Where does that work go? And where is some somebody receiving these packages that are being assembled? And what are they for? Well, it, it, and I, I can't remember exactly. We we, well, sub, we subcontract you, with with, you, you, with a manufacturer. It, it may have changed. You're so, right. It may have changed. But just I guess give a current example of what's happening there and where where is the final product going? Where does it so end up? One of our jobs, we work for Environmental One. We assemble electronic controls that are used in grinder pumps, in sewage systems. You know, and they have to be assembled. They have to be 100% perfect. So we get parts from them. Um, we go through a certain series of steps 
to do the assembly, and then we ship it back to Environment One. So that's and, one example. Yeah. But Environment One, and I was a civil engineer, so I'm familiar with Environmental One, but they are a for-profit company. Absolutely. So I guess, yeah. you know, to John's point now, and John, I want you to comment on this because that's what's, so I guess I guess your point is that these this work is benefiting a company somewhere the, that sells grinder the, pumps at a profit. The biggest issue that we have, so the 36 businesses that we work with, the first thing I say to them is this is, this is not charity. When, when you work with us and you hire people with disabilities to do work, it's not charity, it makes good business sense. And I think one of, the, one of the hard struggles that we have is if there are businesses out there that are profiting from working with individuals who are making sub-minimum wage, they're getting, they're getting a profitable experience. And it, it's charity, it's not minimum wage work. And so the hard thing that I have is, and I don't wanna say the name of that company because I, I, I don't know their specific their specifics, but of the businesses that I've seen that have been working um, in scenarios in New York State in some sub-minimum wage, they are profiting from that work. I'm not sure they quite understand that. Whereas we're trying to get those organizations to say, listen, we understand your assembly needs to be done, we understand your manufacturing needs to be done, we understand XYZ needs to be done. Let us bring people with disabilities inside that process. Rather than outsourcing it, Let's bring it in because there's there's value, there's human value here that becomes really important. And just one thing about this that that really is important to me. When you look in the dictionary and look up the definition of value, value is strictly assigned by a monetary basis. And it is the definition, the number one definition of value. So the value to me is what somebody is willing to pay me. And and I think. Uh, uh, and I know Kirk's going to comment on this. Yes, and, and, you know Kirk's going to, you know. And uh, before we do that, though, but I think one 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 of the points that you made when we were in uh, in the assembly chamber is, you know, and Kirk, to your point, opportunity is the word we're talking about. Now, your opinion is that by not paying minimum wage and putting people in competitive into competitive workforce with assistance or whatever the case may be, that you are limiting opportunity because you're saying people can do yeah. more if you let, let them do more. So let me say this. The, 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 the three other states that have that have passed this law, Alaska, Maryland, and New Hampshire, right? They so, are. They. You look at the uh, the median poverty line, and you look at the median employment line. So, for people with disabilities, employability across the United States, New York has a higher unemployment rate than the median. Those three states have a lower unemployment rate than the median. And there are more people in the poverty line in New York State than those three other states. And one of the reasons is that, and this is this is where this is a difficult topic. This is not an easy. This is not an easy black and white issue. We as, can't, we, as we've seen, right. yeah. But one of the one of my beliefs is, if we get to this point and we and we pull off the bandaid, then it's going to make all of us work smarter, and how we get people who are working working at a minimum wage, and that's where we need to get to. Now, now, John, you mentioned that the federal government has taken some action on this too. Now, Kirk, what's happening with that? Is that something that are are is a place like Pine Ridge on on a timeline where they do have to change over anyways at some point, or is that something that's been happening, or is there a schedule or something that's, happening? That's been happening for since 2013 in New York State, and um, and that's one of the things that gets confusing because the idea of work centers or sheltered workshops. Um, New York State in 2013 said there will be no more workshops in New York State. You either close it or you convert it to an integrated business. So you have to develop a more business-like model and it has to be 
an integrated meaning you've got people with disabilities working alongside people without disabilities and they're um, basically receiving this you know doing the same work maybe at different rates so New York has already started that transformation they've said no more workshops I need to go back to the the one point yes, you know please, about please. about the you know the work and people profiting so when we do a subcontract we say all right we can um, you know, and I mentioned Environment One. They've been a great partner. They're a tremendous company. They don't get they they bid put that work out to bid. They say, you know, Schenectady, what can you do? How you know how many? What will you charge us to assemble a hundred of these switches? You know, what's someone else going to charge me? What's it going to cost me to do it in house? Our pricing for that is based on what it would cost the prevailing wage person to do that. So it's, you know, our, our bid for that, it may or may not be competitive for them. We've seen a lot of our work, we used to do, you know, kits that, it's, a lot of it's gone overseas. Um, a lot of it's disappeared. But the way we price it has to be based on what that company, you know, what we think, what we estimate based on, you know, the prevailing wage and the time studies, what it would cost that work to be done at a minimum wage. And if we've got people working at the, a regular production rate, they're going to get paid minimum wage, they'll get paid above minimum wage. So we, we have that experience. So yes, companies make a profit because that's our system. They're designed to make a profit, but there's not an excess profit. There's not an exploitation. And there's not us, you know, again, Schenectady ARC, who is offering that wage, that sub-minimum wage, we're not getting a benefit from that. So it, it's important just to, you know, because people think, oh, well, they're doing this work for, for these big companies, there must be a profit. We're competing with, you know, the workforce. We have to be the most competitive option for that company in order for them to choose us to do that work. So now, it, now Kirk, advocates uh, have said in response to that, you know, in the past week is that uh, the the money that's being made is the is the money that's being made is at the expense of people who should be working at a regular minimum wage or have a much more enriching experience in some sort of program somewhere that that is already provided for them. Uh, and I will point out, my you know, my son's in one of these programs yep. where he's he's he, he likes cooking. He wants to be a a chef. Uh, so you know, he's he's in one of these programs. So I guess you know what's that's what the advocates for the bill are saying in response to that. So if you could just. You know, so, and that goes back to the point I made earlier that it isn't either program or work. It could be both. And it's what does the individual want? What's right for that person? So, again, we take a very person centered approach and we try to find for many of the people we support, there's dignity in work and there's value in work, and that's what they want to do. And there's prestige in work there's the paycheck, there's the ability to control those monies, there's maybe the ability to invest in that ABLE account. So, but we're not dictating that. And, and again, we offer all those services. There's no financial incentive for us to push people into one program or, or another. Our, our focus is on the individual and what's gonna work for them. And, and as I said to you, the concern I have is you take the sub-minimum wage away, we don't have that option. So that person who can't be employed, who doesn't have the, the, either the, the cognitive ability or the speed <clears throat> to work at the minimum wage, you're saying now you have to go to a program because you're, we don't have a work option for you. And the irony is, in that program, well, maybe they'll, maybe they'll be volunteering. Now, I've heard those programs characterized in very harsh terms. We offer those programs. So again, it's, it's not like we have you know, a, a vested interest in someone going one place or another. We're trying to provide what's best. But the irony is, you know, somebody might go to one of those programs, and then they're volunteering. 
So you're saying you're not good enough to work for a pay rate, even if it's a sub-minimum pay rate, but we'll let you volunteer somewhere. Um, that's I don't think that makes sense. And So we want to, again, for us, it's about preserving the option and preserving the opportunities. And John, you're, you're saying volunteer work, there's no real expectation of performance, and you don't have to be there. Yeah. So your opinion of volunteer work is entirely different because you're saying it's not Again, it something you have to do. Comes back down to the value. The value of somebody's time is, in that essence, zero. And I think one of the things that I think would happen in this is that, you know, Kirk's a really smart man. Schenectady is a great organization. They would figure out what to do and how to work with those businesses in an equitable way at minimum wage. And you cited an example of uh, an ARC that has done this already. Uh, just talk about that. Really yeah, quick. so I don't want to name names, but there, no, there, you don't there, have to, there are. I've seen both sides of this coin. I've seen the the ones that are abusing the system um, for for national companies, and I've seen I've seen uh, what's going on. What we're talking about today, and I've also seen um, an ARC here in, in New York State. A couple of them that have gotten rid of this system and not lost people, which to me is amazing because we've you know we've been told all sides of this coin, but it is my firm belief that if we if we go to a minimum wage for individuals with disabilities, which is where we should go from an equality standpoint and economic standpoint, that we will find solutions because we will have to find solutions. And that's, that's one of the things that, that uh, I get back to. That this is something that needs to be done. It's going to be done. We are on a continuum of equality. We need to get here. And we'll all be smarter in how we how we do it equitably after. Uh, let's talk about some of the companies you have worked with. So CEFQ, Price Chopper, CDPHP, they do have opportunities. They have successfully hired people with disabilities. How are they doing it? Great. They're doing it through coming to us. They're doing it through working with, with our network of disability service providers. They're doing it through a multitude of ways. They're, they're working with Schenectady ARC. That, that when when the decision is made to include people with disabilities in the hiring process, and as we talked about before, we're at a unique time. We're effectively at full employment in New York State. This is the time to do it. Businesses are open-minded to be able to, to, to bring people into the system. And so we're, we're working with these businesses to find a, an equitable way for them to reach multiple people with disabilities and add them into the hiring process. And that, that, that is where we're going to be going. You know, whether we get here or not with this one bill, in time, in the next generation, this is the way it's going to work. We're going to bring people with disabilities up to everybody else's standard in being part of the hiring process. Right now, what we're doing is we're, we're educating those businesses that are open to it, like the ones that you just mentioned and others, to say, hey, when you have job openings, let's consider a new, uh, a new talent pool, one that is loyal, dedicated, hardworking, and that will show up on time. And I think the other side of this is, Kirk, what you're saying is there may be some people that are not going to qualify for those positions where do those people go? That's the question. And of course, the discussion has been, okay, there's programs where people can go to learn skills or whether it's a, a day program or whatever the case may be. Your opinion is that uh, it, should be, it should be an option. It should be a choice. That's right. And, and maybe it's both. Maybe it's one or the other, but we should preserve that option for people because a lot of times the best way for someone to develop <clears throat> those skills and to, to, to build and to you know, maybe reach that potential is, is to work and to be in that work setting where they're getting paid rather than in that day program where what they're doing is volunteering. 
So, you know, I, again, I, I'm, I'm in, um, I, I disagree with very little of, of what John's saying. I think um, on, on the national front, this is a, it's a controversial topic. In New York, it's care, you have to be careful because it gets confused with site-based workshops. There have been abuses. There have been exploitation in the past. Um, people who know New York, New York know, know that New York is one of the most highly regulated, um, some would say over-regulated states in the country. It's, um, we don't, we don't ab abuse the 14C. We don't, um, we are advocates. Yeah, you know, Schenectady ARC, it's a family-based organization. Yep. It was started by families, so it, we feel very strongly that this is a, an opportunity. Well, the, the one, the one <clears throat> thing I, I would want to point out, just looking yep. at the national data, because one, one of the concerns I have is before New York takes this step, I would hope that they would look, let's look at the evidence, let's look at the data, let's find out how many people are being paid with, in this way, what's the impact going to be on those people. Um, nationally, you know, I agree with John, it is, it's, it's shameful that the employment, the unemployment rate for people with disability it hovers between 70 and 80 percent, depending on, you know, who's measuring it and how you're measuring it. We need to do better. We need to do better on all fronts. Um, with, in the last 20 years, I think since 2002, the employment rate for people in integrated employment options has actually gone down. It hasn't gone up. The number of people in non-work programs, you know, programs like the day program where they might volunteer but they're not going to get paid, that number has risen faster than any other rate in the country. And I think that's in part due to the fact that workshops have closed, you know, and, and some of that's good. Some of that is, you know, the, these, we, you should have a rich set of options for people to choose from. But I think you also don't want to deprive people of a valuable employment option, which this bill will do right now in New York. Now, uh, Kirk, you also said that, you know, not everybody working at the ARC facility is getting paid sub-minimum wage. Some are actually getting paid at the minimum wage or maybe above. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, it, and it depends on the job they're working on. And again, we have people, a lot of people who work a few hours in the community. They've got a community job and they've got um, other, they, they come back and they'll work at our center. And depending on the job they're working on, um, you know, they, they may get paid above minimum wage. We, we've had the experience where, you know, we have job coaches who go out and they place people in jobs where the person they're supporting is actually making more than they are, and, you know, which is a whole separate set of issues about the, the lack of support for funding for programs that help people get those jobs and work in the community. But, I mean, that's, that's the reality of the economy we're working in right now is people can work at a variety of different levels. Now, one of the things, you know, John has brought up uh, is that, you know, it, it, you know, opportunities. Are we limiting opportunities by putting people in positions like this? But there, uh, do, do people work towards getting raises and earning more? It, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the, pro, you know, what, what's the progress? You know, everybody wants to have uh, uh, progress at their job and be able to do more and be able to earn more. Is that happening? Absolutely. And if that's, and again, we are, we're very person-centered. We look at the individual. Um, not all individuals want to do that. Um, you know, I take my, my, you know, I'm a family member. My brother, Tim, has um, used to work at our work center, has, has since retired. Um, it was kind of a forced retirement as a result of New York's transformation. But um, Tim did not want to work in the community. Um, he had that option. They explored it with him. He trialed things. He, he went through a BOCES program. Um, but what we are trying to do for him is 
what what is your goal? What's going to make your life meaningful? What's going to make your life richer? So a lot of folks want to progress. They want to move on. They may have very specific career goals. We'll try to get them there. We'll do everything we can. Um, uh, and, and we want to be able to pay them along the way. And that may mean you're not going to get paid a full minimum wage because that might bankrupt us. Um, but we'll pay you that prevailing wage. We'll pay you that evaluated rate based on your productivity. And if you don't want to work at that, we're not forcing that. People have the choice. Uh, and you're saying they also have the choice to go into a, a, a day program Absolutely. or go into a... Absolutely. Uh, so uh, what about, uh, I guess, you know, we, we, we brought this up at the last... Uh, at the last uh, podcast with the NYABLE program with, the, with the, 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 gu the guardianship issue. What about that? How does that all play into this? Where, you know, maybe my son can't make those decisions and a guardian or someone else would make that decision for them. How does that play into this? Well, again, we do what we call person-centered planning and we work with the individual and everyone who's supporting that individual. And so we, we are trying to work, you know, with the, you know, the, if the person has a legal guardian, we'll work with the legal guardian. If they have a strong advocate, we'll work with a strong advocate. Um, at the end of the day, um, unless somebody has been determined by a court proceeding that they can't make those decisions for themselves and then a guardian has to make those decisions, you know, it rarely gets to that point. It's almost always a collaborative process where, you know, you and Michael would be deciding together, you know, here, here's what we want to do and here's the steps we're going to take to get there. Now, John, you're, uh, you, you have talked about expectations, um, that people can do more than you expect them to do. Yeah. People with disabilities can, uh, can do more than people think they can do. Absolutely. And I think you know, what you're talking about with Seth Kuhn Price Chopper is that you're trying to prove that through successful models, also the Employment Training Center, where people are, can, you know, if it becomes a reality, people can learn the skills and do more than they think they can do. Yeah, we, we, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things, it's, uh, it's being a parent, it's tough love, it's uh, uh, you know, doing the work that you can do, but you realize that there is more all of us can do. And I think for, for an awfully long time, we, we, have, uh, we have not expected more from, from people with disabilities. You know, you have a, a wonderful brother here with Kirk, but you know, un unfortunately I've seen many parents, many brothers and sisters of people with disabilities willing to accept a, a lower performance, a lower, a lower expectation. And, and that's too bad. Uh, I'm not saying everybody can work. I, I am saying everybody has value. And I think one of the things we have to do better as, as guardians of, of people with disabilities and guardians of society is expect more. Expect more, make the dreams bigger, make the hopes bigger. And part of the, making the dreams and hopes bigger is making the expectations bigger. And what I've seen is when we ask more, more times than not, we get more. When we make the dreams bigger, more times than not, we get more out of that. And the younger generation is open to this. It ends up being sort of our generation that may, may hold us back at times. Um, we, we need to ask for more. And, and again, this is not going to be perfect. Again, this is not, we don't live in utopia. Uh, we're in Schenectady. We're in New York, right? Right next door to utopia. Right next door to utopia. <laughs> Um, but I do firmly believe that uh, places like Our Ability, places like Schenectady ARC, will do more if we do this one step. And it's going to be painful. There's no doubt it's going to be financially painful. It's going to be, 
it's going to be a transition and, for and all I, of us. But I think we can get there. And I guess with what, what we talked about earlier, that the federal government has taken some action. Does, Kirk, do you see changes coming anyways to, you know, uh, the Pine Ridge model? And the, do you see changes coming down the road, or do you see uh, if this bill doesn't pass or if nothing happens, do you see it staying in, in the current form? It, no, it, it's it, I, I absolutely agree with John. It's an evolving system, and it's you know evolving expectation. There is a there's a, a real generational issue. I mean, there are a generation of people who, um, as, as as John said, maybe you know a hundred years ago, if someone would be put in an institution, fifty years ago, the expectation was you're going to work in a workshop. Um, now the expectation is I, I want you to be as independent as you can, and people. People, I agree 100%. People grow um, and expand, and they, you know, they have capacities that you've never imagined, um, and you only get there by expecting more. But on the other hand, we're serving also that generation of people who grew up with a different set of expectations, who have built their lives around those set of expectations, and we're not about to uproot that. So, yeah, it it may change in the future, and I I hope it evolves. I hope it changes so that everyone is in the community and the communities are more accepting and the businesses are willing to um, to work with people like Schenectady ARC who will help you get great employees who will help you help them adjust and help you learn about them and that the employees learn about how to work in that in that organization um, I, I think that's a, a great concept I think you're gonna see more of it um, but in the meantime if you enact this law, um, there's 40 people who we're not going to be able to employ anymore. So that's going to have an immediate impact. It's not going to have a financial hardship for Schenectady ARC. It's going to have a very real impact for people who um, are going to be told, you know, we'll, we can try out at some other jobs, but this job you have now that is paying you um, has got to go away because the, the employer can't afford to continue to pay you and um, we've got to change that. So it, it's, um, yeah, I, I do think it's, the system is always evolving. The expectations of families, our technology, um, the, you know, the growth of people, it's always evolving. Um, I just, I think that this law at this time, you know, I mentioned earlier, New York's in the middle of a transformation and that, that addressed the whole concept of site-based centers, workshops, um, and, Let's work through that. Let's see how that goes. You know, we, we are in the middle of, uh, our Pine Ridge Industries has become what the state calls an integrated business, where we have to meet certain requirements for, you know, um, non-disabled, disabled individuals working together. Um, we're fighting to make that a fiscally viable model. You know, because again, it's, it's, it's our mission. It's consistent with our mission to do that, but it's it's not easy. It's a struggle, and and you know we've talked about our workforce issues. Our, we sure. we our our focus as an organization is to try to devote the resources to the people because the people make the difference. Um, so we can't afford to have a big loss in our employment center, but that employment center offers a tremendously valuable service. So let's let's see what this transformation does before we cut off this one option for people who are trying to provide that option and say, you can't do this any longer. You can't do this federally authorized 14C subminimum wage. Um, you know, I, you know we, we talk about equality. There's equality of opportunity, and then there's equality of outcomes. And equality of, they're, they're different things. Um, and I, I believe firmly in, in equality of opportunity. I think the subminimum wage keeps that, it preserves that. It doesn't cut that opportunity to work in a work setting off 
um, at that level where an employer is willing to pay 11.40 an hour. John, closing comments? I'm glad we're having the discussion. I mean, I think one of the things that, that, that we need to do more and more of is have the discussion of people with disabilities and all the issues that, that we represent. You know, we're, we're, we're a microcosm of all of society. You know, we're, we get lumped into diversity categories at times, but we're, we're everybody. Um, unfortunately, we're also the most impoverished. So these issues become really important. And, and as I said at the beginning, you know, the work that, that Kirk does is God's work. Um, we disagree on this one issue, but it's about the only thing we disagree on. We've, we've devoted our, our lives, our, our experiences, our um, personal time uh, to, to, to support individuals with disabilities because I'm valuable. Your brother's valuable. Your son is valuable. And, and we need to see that. You know, I, we've talked about this offline. I traveled to China a few years ago, and I was in the biggest city in the world and saw not one person with a disability. You know, we're lucky. We're really lucky here. But part of being lucky is that we have to work for it. And part of working for it is that we have to continue to have these friendly battles um, and, and continue to have these debates because that's the only way we progress. If we don't do that, we could easily end up going into a place where we don't see people with disabilities at all. And I think the it, it is important to have the discussion. And uh, and look, there's there's uh, you know both sides have good points, and I think it's important that uh, we talk about it uh, and we decide you know what's best going forward. The bill is uh, being discussed at this point because of advocates on both sides, and I think that's that's great. That's the way the system is supposed to work. Uh, this uh, podcast, hopefully, people listening will uh, take note of that. And call, you know, uh, call their legislators, call their some of the members, call their senators. Have your opinion heard. What is your what are your feelings on this? Where do you think uh, New York State should be heading uh, when we talk about minimum wage uh, for those with disabilities? So I think it's important that we have the, dis the discussion. I think it's important that uh, you know the points you've made are both uh, on both sides are valid, and, and I think people should consider both sides of it. Uh, and that's why I do this podcast so that we talk about what's happening at the state capitol because it does affect everybody. Uh, so I want to thank you, Kirk, for being on on, on my podcast. <laughs> thank you for yeah, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity, yeah. and thank you to John. I, John I, as John said, um, I have the greatest respect for John and for his organization, and um, and we we disagree on very little. And it's it's this is an important thing to discuss, and I appreciate you giving us the forum to. To, to air it out a little That's bit. That's great. I'm happy you, bo you both came on. And John, uh, you, you're no stranger to the uh, podcast you've been on before. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll most likely have you both on again. Uh, so for those uh, listening, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes uh, to listen to further podcasts. We'll be discussing issues like this. And we, this one may resurface. As a matter of fact, I, I'm sure it will resurface for more discussion at some point. So subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can also visit my website, uh, www.nyassembly.gov. Uh, there you can... Uh, uh, sign up to receive my Autism Action Newsletter. Uh, and I also do a Times Union blog. Uh, you can find it on the Times Union website where I'll be linking this podcast to a future blog. Uh, but for now, uh, thank you both for being on the show. We're going to sign off. We'll see you on the very next podcast right, right back here.